Good morning, Mount Calvary Church. Welcome to all of our kids in the house this morning. How we doing, kids? Uh-oh, that's good. You good? Hey, we're happy to be here all together. This is a special week for us as we start a new series called Love Your Neighbor, and it is so important. We think this is such an important topic that we want everyone as we start this series to be in together as we consider what Jesus says is the first and greatest commandment. So we're going to listen and we're going to hear what God has for us. All of it comes from Luke 10, 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and greatest commandment. So did you hear that? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first, this is the greatest commandment. Kids in the house this morning, how many of you, raise your hands, how many of you have to do, sometimes have to do chores on a Saturday morning? Raise your hand. I'm learning that not a lot of kids do chores. Parents, it's really a great thing to do. Okay, I want you to pretend on a Saturday morning, your parents came to you and said, I'm going to give you a list of chores to do today. You have to clean your room and make your bed. You have to pick up all the Legos that are on the floor in your room. I want you to do the dishes and empty the dishwasher. We're going to give you some Windex. We're going to make you clean the glass sliding door that goes out back that you're always touching. You're going to do all these chores. You're going to vacuum. You're going to clean up the car. How does this sound for a Saturday morning, kids? But yeah, not so good. It's okay. I feel you. So then your parent says to you that they're going to go out into the garage, and there's one other chore that they're going to give you that is the first and the most important of all the chores. So all those chores, plus this one that is the most important, they want you to give your dog a bath. Okay, maybe you don't have a dog, but you can pretend to have a dog. Okay, so they go out in the garage, you have all this time, and you do all these chores. You clean your room, you pick up the Legos, you clean the glass door, you, you, vac- you even vacuum, you clean out the car, you do the dishes, you do all these things. Your parent comes back in and you say, Mom and Dad, you're going to be so happy with me. I did all these chores, except Ruby, the dog, is still dirty. Now, how would your mom and dad feel about that? You did all these 10 other chores, but the one chore that your mom and dad said, this is the most important chore, and Ruby is still dirty. How would they feel? They probably wouldn't be very happy because what they said was the most important chore you have ignored. And this is what we see with Jesus here. He comes to the disciples, he comes to the crowds, and he says, all of the law comes down to this. He's having this conversation with the lawyer, and he says, the first important, the, the greatest of all the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is so important for us, not just the kids, but the adults, to consider, are we doing this? I mean, how are we doing this? 
How are we investing the, the right amount of time and energy to make sure we are following Jesus and what he says is the first and greatest? And so we're looking for the next month at this question. We think it's that important that as a family we, and, and as singles and as married couples that we really consider what does this mean for us today that we might follow Jesus. And so this is the conversation with the lawyer. Last week for Easter, we talked about Jesus's, the, the lawyer's first question to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember that? And Jesus' answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer is discouraged. Why is the lawyer discouraged at that? Because he can't do it. He, he can't do enough. He knows if this is what it takes to get to heaven and to get eternal life, love God with everything that I am, love my neighbor as myself, he knows it. I have failed miserably. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. You can't do enough. You can't do enough. You can't self-justify. That's why Jesus came to the lawyer. He's telling him, I came to not just give you this, this great parable and this great religious story, but I came to be your justifier. The fact that you can't do what it takes, but I can and I have and I will by my death on the cross. And it is out of this understanding of what Jesus has done for us that then, now, as we consider that we are, like I said last Sunday, we are the man in the parable on the side of the street. And this is where it must begin, that we're not the good Samaritan. But we are actually the man on the, on the side of the street, naked, dying, alone, with no help. But Jesus came as the good Samaritan. And he didn't just bind up our wounds, but he died on the cross and he forgave us. So this is where the parable, this is where it starts. But the lawyer, he, he wasn't getting this. It says in the text, trying to justify himself, he's going to ask another question, because I can't justify myself by loving God and loving my neighbor. Well, maybe if I qualify who my neighbor is. And so it leads to the second question, who is my neighbor? And so this morning, we want to look at that question. Who is the neighbor? How does Jesus answer this question? And then how can we go and follow what Jesus says is the first and greatest? So let's read Luke 10, 25 through 37, and then we'll pray. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind in your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, this is the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we want to focus and we want to center ourselves on what your son Jesus says is first and the greatest and the most important of all the commandments. And so God, we ask for your help as we think to understand this passage, as we think of what it looks like to actually do this passage. God, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds to see this text, to hear the call, and that we would go and we would do likewise. Because we want to be people who are focused on what you say is most important. And I pray this for our kids, for our teenagers and our high schoolers and middle schoolers. I pray this for our adults, for those who are single, and for those who are married, for, those, for everyone here this morning. God, we pray that we would see this most important passage and that we would center our lives on it. And we recognize that we need your help, that I need your help. That without the working of the Holy Spirit, that we would miss this. And so, God, we pray for these next few moments, you would help us to hear, to listen, to focus, and to understand that we may go and do and be all that you've called us to be. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So here's where we are in the text. Jesus is answering the lawyer's question, and he's answering the second question, who is my neighbor, with a powerful story, and it's a perfect story, answering who is this neighbor. And so the first five verses of the parable, Jesus is telling him through story, this is who your neighbor is. Through the last five verses of the parable, it's not a question the lawyer asked, probably should have asked. He's answering the question, what does it really look like to love? So who is the neighbor? First five verses, second five verses of the parable. What does it look like to love? And I'll, I'll be really upfront with this, or I'll kind of acknowledge this. this. This is not a complex parable. All of us have heard this story over tons and tons of times. We know the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the context of it. You've heard You've seen uh, skits on this parable. There's probably songs on this parable. I mean, you've, you've listened to this parable. You've probably seen the felt board on this parable. Like, we know this parable. We know, you probably know, before I even say, how many miles it is from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know that it's a dangerous road. Like, you are familiar enough, probably, with this parable that you're thinking, okay, I've heard this. But as I'm thinking through this parable, it, it isn't complex. It isn't difficult to understand, but I'll be just kind of upfront here. The challenge of this parable, it, it's not kind of deciphering what Jesus is trying to say. The challenge of this parable is being bold enough and brave enough and courageous enough 
to actually do what it says. We know this parable, but the challenge is, are we going to let it do anything to us? Are we going to follow it? The message is clear, but let's think through a little bit of the context. Jesus is going to tell a story to answer the question, who is the lawyer? And as Jesus tells this parable, this this story would have been very familiar with the people listening. They knew Jerusalem to Jericho. They knew this desert path, the 18 miles. They knew that it was a notorious path, that it would have been dangerous. And so they would have been tracking along with Jesus as he kind of illustrates the answer to this question. And so Jesus tells them, a man is fallen and he is hurt and he has no clothing and he is dying. And a priest and then a Levite pass him on the road. And what do they do? They keep walking. Now there's, I I read about a lot of speculation about why these two didn't stop. Perhaps they thought the man was dead. And if the, the man was dead, they would be rendered unclean if they went too close to the man or they touched the man. And then if they were rendered unclean, they couldn't go into the temple for a certain amount of time. And without going into the temple, They couldn't receive tithes. They wouldn't be able to receive offerings. And so they wouldn't be able to care for your family. And so you could almost picture the scene kind of playing out. That, well, if I get close to this man, I won't be able to care for my own family. That I won't be able to feed them and provide for them. Or if I get close to him, how am I going to continue to serve in the position that God's placed me in? In the temple. Because I won't be able to. Some say maybe they were thinking of the danger that would have been associated with helping this man. What if the robbers are still close by? And what if they jump out and get them as well? And so there's plenty of, of reasons that we can kind of concoct that might explain why they didn't stop. But the, the, Jesus doesn't specify why they don't stop. And here's what I think he's doing. I think he's communicating that the reason they didn't stop, it doesn't matter what it is. They should have stopped. Whatever their excuse, whether it was something they were going to, whether it was fear about what it would cost for their lives or for their families, the point of what Jesus is saying, whatever their excuse, they were in sin for not stopping. They should have stopped and helped the man. They should have seen this man is more pressing than anything that they were going to or anything they would have been prevented from doing. But they made excuses. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. I mean, this would have been completely countercultural for this Jewish audience. Jesus introduces the Samaritan. And it's hard to, for us, I think, to wrap our minds around about the tension between the Jew and the Samaritan. I mean, the, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They would literally pray against the Samaritans. That they, they would call them names and the Samaritans too. I mean, they, they hated each other. The Jews during their exile in Samaria, the Jews that intermingled with the Samaritans, like the enemies, they married these Samaritans. And from this, you've got this, this deep hostility. They hated each other. Jews looked at them as if they were traitors. It is this person, the Samaritan. He walks down the road, and he sees the man on the side of the street, and he loves him, and he helps him. And so here's, so so what's the answer to Jesus' question, or what's the answer to the lawyer's question? 
Who is my neighbor? He tells this parable. Who is the neighbor in the parable? The man on the side of the street. That's, I think, pretty obvious that Jesus, this is the neighbor that the religious people are supposed, that you're supposed to love. But just thinking about this, who is this person? I love how Jesus does this. Look again at verse 30. Who is the neighbor? How is the person described in the passage? Verse 30, he is a man. Jesus gives the, what I think is the most vague, most general answer ever. And it's brilliant. The rest of the passage, the other characters in the parable, they're not very generic. You've got the robbers. You've got the Jewish priest. You've got the Jewish Levite. You've got the Samaritan. I mean, we know who they are. We know where they're from. We know what they do. So why with Jesus is he saying the neighbor is the person on the side of the street? He's just a man. There's nothing descript about him. That's the point. Jesus is saying your neighbor is simply a man on the side of the street who's got significant needs. So let's just think through the qualifiers because we like to qualify things. This is what the lawyer is doing. He's trying to qualify. Help me define the neighbor so that I can know who I'm supposed to love. And so this is the qualifiers for who is our neighbor that we're called to love based on this passage. Three qualifiers. First, they are a man or a woman. They're human. That's helpful, right? Your neighbor, to be your neighbor, has to be a human. I love dogs. I, I love my dog, Ruby. But she does not qualify as a neighbor. Robots, they don't qualify for neighbors. Your neighbor first is qualified by being a person. Okay? Number two, the second qualifier for who a neighbor is and who we're called to love is they have a need. This man on the side of the road had various needs, medical needs, financial needs, relational needs, he couldn't talk for himself, transportation needs. I mean, the needs abound, okay? But again, I think this is a quality of the, the person on the side of the street that helps us understand who is the neighbor that we're called to love. And by the way, all of us have needs. All of us, every single one of us, some kind of need, whether it's spiritual or emotional or physical or financial, at different parts of our lives, every single day, we need someone to be a neighbor to love us because all of us have needs. I think the point of what I'm, what I'm trying to do is to communicate, this is a very general list. Humans with needs, and that's all of us. That's every single person. But there's one more qualifier. You cross paths with them. You cross paths with them. This is what Jesus is saying. Look at the parable. Now, by chance, the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, they pass this man on the road. By chance, they're going to work. They're going about their normal day and just so happens that they happen to, to cross paths with a man who's human, who has needs, and now they have come in contact with someone who has a needs. And I just, I love this. 
There's no, there's no such thing as now by chance. I remember when Ashley and I started dating and I went to dinner with her grandma for the first time and I made a fatal mistake, big mistake, major bad news. I said to grandma, I said, I am so, I consider myself so lucky to have met Ashley at, at the college that we went to. Now, grandma said to me, we don't believe in luck in this family. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as by chance, I just happened to cross paths with. What do we know about the sovereignty and the providence of God? That God directs every step. There is no chance encounter. But what Jesus is saying here, by his providence in your normal, routine, everyday life, when you meet a human with needs, you bump into them at the grocery store, in the school cafeteria, at work, in your neighborhood, in your own home. When you bump into someone who has a need, they are your neighbor. I, I remember hearing a sermon on Acts chapter 8 when I was in high school with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And the, the title, I don't remember, I, I don't title my sermons, but I remember the title of this sermon. It's called Running to Divine Appointments. That Philip is hanging out and the chariot comes by and the Spirit of God tells him, you need to go get in that chariot. That, that's not creepy enough. And you need to share the gospel. You need to explain Isaiah 53. And, and it's a divine appointment. What is, how does Philip respond to this? I remember the, the pastor telling us this. He runs to it. He runs to the chariot because he has crossed paths with a person with a spiritual need. They don't understand the gospel, and he runs for it. How do we respond to divine appointments with people who are neighbors who we are called to love? Remember in college, about to go on a mission trip, I was, at a, I was getting a pizza uh, a mushroom pizza. I remember that mushroom pizza. It was good mushroom pizza. Don't judge me. And I remember sitting there waiting for them to, to bake our pizza. And I'm sitting there, and, and this doesn't happen very often, but I remember just the Spirit of God prompting me uh, to strike up a conversation with the gentleman next to me. There was no apparent need in his life. He didn't look stressed or depressed or he wasn't poor or rich. I, I didn't know anything about him, but I felt strongly that I should talk to this person and share with him about the trip that I was going on and ultimately share with, with him about Jesus. And you know how those types of things go for you. You start to argue with yourself. Oh, that'd be creepy. I mean, here we are waiting for pizza and I'm talking to him about it. Like, he's going to reject me. What if he hits me? What if I make a fool of myself? Like, I'm just talking to myself. Maybe I'm just hungry and I'm just thinking too much. Or like, you know, you start to kind of just justify why you're a crazy person for thinking. But you know, God's telling you, speaking to you through the Holy Spirit, have a conversation with this person. And I remember what happened. I'm arguing with myself, thinking. And all of a sudden, he picks up his pizza and he walks out the door. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have missed an opportunity to love my neighbor. And that scene has, struck, has, has stuck with me all these years. But here's what Jesus is saying. Love your neighbor. I mean, notice 
how he doesn't qualify his neighbor. Okay, there's no religious qualifiers in the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's the point of this, the whole point of the, the parable. It's a Jew and a Samaritan. Your neighbor is not qualified by what they believe. They may believe differently than you. They may think you're crazy. They may hate you. They may not believe in Jesus or the Father or the Spirit. They may reject Christianity. But there is, in this parable, there is no qualification that our neighbor is someone who believes like we believe. There's no economical qualifier. And we'll talk more about this next week. But their status doesn't matter. They may be poor, and they may not smell good, and they may not have money, and they may be on the side of the street. That, that is not, clearly not, a qualifier in the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's no ethnic qualifier. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter where they've come from. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. Again, that's part of the point of the contrast between being Jewish and being Samaritan. There was ethnic differences. He is pounding that to the Jews who would love just people just like them. And Jesus is saying, you have got it all wrong. It's not just loving people just like you. Look at the Samaritan loving the man. There's no preference qualifiers. Sometimes we, it's, it's easier for us to love people that are like us people we get along with, people we prefer, and there is no hint of that in this parable. There's no merit qualifier. In other words, the man on the side of the street didn't earn the love of the neighbor. He didn't do something to justify the Samaritan loving him. For all we know, the man lying on the side of the road, he caused the problem. We don't know. He could have caused the whole issue, could have caused the fight that left him dead and without anything. There is no merit. You don't earn neighbor love according to Jesus's qualification of who the neighbor is in this passage. There's no schedule qualifier, just another day. They're going to work. This isn't scheduled. This isn't part of their community service. This isn't a church work day. This isn't a mission trip. This is just another day. They just happen to come upon a human who has a need who they cross paths with. But this is who the neighbor is. It's not specific. Intentionally not specific. Anyone and everyone who has a need that you happen to bump into. This is the call of love. But what, what are we to do? Like, what does it look like to love this person? I've shared about this concert before, but I remember taking Ashley on Valentine's Day many years ago to a Michael Bublé concert. At the end of the concert, you know, it's this warm, magical moment. Oh, you see how I feel about it. At the end of the concert, we're singing, All You Need Is Love, heart confetti's coming down from the, uh, from the ceiling. It's just... Yeah, it was interesting. She's not here. No, we loved it. It was great. Uh, but that's not what love is. That, that's a warm emotion, and that feels good. Thousands of couples enjoying that moment. But listen, we, we don't understand biblical love. I mean, we have so warped what love, biblical love is. It's, it's, not, this, it's not just this warm feeling. You, you study in God's word what love is. It is more than a feeling. It is a feeling. It is compassion that causes you to move. 
It is compassion that leads to action. It is this feeling that stirs inside of you that when, when you, feel, you, you move and you do something, you, for you to not have action with your love is it's to not be in love. Not to be in love. And so we see examples of this all throughout Scripture. Love is a verb. It's not a feeling. Not just a feeling. It is a feeling, but it is a feeling that is so deep inside of you that you must do something on behalf of the person that you love. It's the word compassion. That's, that's, that's the word here. And so let's just think about this for a minute. It's Luke 10, 33. It's right in the middle of the passage. To me, this is the heart of the passage. One more time, we'll read it. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the man on the side of the street. And when he saw him, he had compassion. I mean, to me, this is the key. Before he could love him, he saw him. I mean, how many people do we not even see? And we, he saw him. He looked at him. He was overwhelmed by his situation. And it was this seeing, this empathy that caused him to love. And to me, this is the issue. The issue isn't for us today and for me today. It's not who is my neighbor. I mean, I think we, we know we're to love people. So I don't think that's the issue. I don't think the issue is what is love, which we'll talk about. I don't, but I think we know how to love someone well. The issue is, to me, we don't feel compassion. We see the man on the side of the street, and we feel nothing, and we don't really look at them, and we keep on walking. And I like the Greek word for this word compassion, because I think this is what it communicates. Middle schooler, Middle school and high school boys, elementary boys, you're going to like this, okay? So listen up. The Greek word for compassion, splagnitsomai. Now, that's not the part you're going to like, but the word is splagnitsomai. And what it, it re- literally means, originally how they used this word, was it was used to describe your, your stomach churning. Or literally, it describes having gas, bad gas, Told you you'd like this. Yeah, you're laughing now. It means to be uncomfortable in your stomach. And, and what happens when, when you feel that? Like it, you can't think about anything else. And as the word was used, it eventually became used for emotional and the needs of love. And so to, 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 to empathize or to be agitated in your stomach became your, your feeling of empathy and love for someone else. In other words... You are physically bothered. You are emotionally bothered by, by the person that you see. So much to the fact that you must do something. Right? You have this physical agitation that just like you would if you had a stomachache, you, you would have to take care of it. You'd have to deal with it or do something. And so that's what compassion is, is that you are empathetic you are agitated by what you see, that you see the person on the side of the road and you have to do something to care for them. Like they are your, your husband or your wife, your brother or your sister, but it is just a person on the side of the street. And here's the challenge. I mean, how, how do we feel that? 
Like for, for those who are sitting there and for myself thinking, I don't have compassion. Like I'm really practical and I can think of, I can, there's reasons that they're in their situation. They should have not done this or done this. And I'm not compassionate. I'm realistic. They caused this mess that they sit in. And listen, that is, that is wrong to think that way. Compassion is, however you got here, okay, I, I feel for you and I will care for you. And I'm not condoning sin. I'm, I am showing love. But how do we have compassion and not this practical, you're the one to blame mindset? The, the only thought that I have for this is for you to consider and for you to always remember that lest for the cross, you would be on the side of the street yourself. How do we have compassion? Constantly reminding ourselves that lest for grace, you'd be that man or you'd be that woman and that lest for Jesus and his death, his resurrection and his imparting of new life onto you, you would be that man. And so you are showing the same kind of love to this neighbor on the ground whether they were the reason for it or not, Jesus showed you the same kind of love. And so the only encouragement that I can give you to, to grow in compassion is to sit under the shadow of the cross and to do it consistently and constantly reminding yourself of the greatness of his grace for you every single day. And then you can love, right? When you feel that, Compassion. When you will act, look at what the look what the Samaritan did. I counted nine things in the, in the text. Don't don't write these down. Just nine. He went to him on the side of the road. He bound his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal for transport. He took him for, to an inn for medical care. He stayed the night with him. He paid two denaries for lodging and care. This was a couple months of work. He made a future provision for the man. And then he promised to come back to the innkeeper to tie up any loose ends. This, this is love. Love that moves. I mean, this is love that is dangerous. He goes to the man. Love that's expensive and costly. It costs him money. It costs him time. He destroys his schedule. I mean, he had appointments. He, he destroys it for this man. Love is relational. He stays with him. He's an advocate for this man. He speaks for him with the innkeeper. He does something for the man that the man couldn't do for himself. He, he advocates for him. And, and so this, this is what love is in the parable. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what it means to love your neighbor. And so here's what we're doing. Kids, adults, parents, singles, anyone and everyone. We are coming here and we are reminding ourselves of what is the greatest and the first command. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That he came and he saved us. He took care of us. And it is out of that love that we can love our neighbor, any human with any need who happens to cross our path, that we would have the privilege to show 
this dangerous, costly, expensive, relational love with whoever God in his divine providence would want to cross our paths. And that when we do that, when we love with costliness and we love with expense and love with sacrifice, what happens? That it will make no sense to the person that we're loving that, they, that we will have to explain the gospel of Jesus with it. Because it will be unexplainable. Unexplainable. And we can say, well, let me explain it to you. Like I was where you were until Jesus came and found me and loved me and forgave me and came for me and cared for me and gave me new life and new hope and new purpose. And so may we, students and children and adults, consider the cross and as we overflow with joy, may we just go out and go after loving our neighbor. And so part of our series this month, we've given you some table, some, some uh, conversation card in your bulletin. This is meant for your dinner table. Whether you have kids or you don't, we want you to spend time this week considering, talking at dinner, thinking about how can we love our neighbors in this way. On your way out, we're going to give you a little, a little bracelet as a reminder to love your neighbor. If you paid attention this morning, we're going to give you a bracelet. Just kidding. Everybody gets a bracelet. Everyone gets one. As a reminder, this, there's adults, for adults and for kids, as a reminder, everywhere I go, every path that I cross, every person I bump into, how can I love this person? Because they have a need, whether I see it or I don't. And then lastly, on the, on the table or the conversation card for your dinner table, there's a challenge. And each week, as we kind of think deeper into who this neighbor is, we're going to give each family or each individual a challenge for them to talk about and then to put some feet to it and to go do it. And so the challenge this week is to identify a person in your life with a need. That's broad, but that's the point. Who is someone that you know that is hurting that is struggling. And how can you as a family, how can you care for that person by meeting, tangibly meeting the need? So let's pray. Father, we pray that we would be people like the Samaritan in the parable. That we would love, we'd love deeply, and we'd love with action, that we'd have compassion. God, help us to have compassion, to see, to see people not explain away things. And so, God, I pray that you would touch our hearts with the message of your son Jesus and the message of the cross in such a way that we would have compassion because we are overwhelmed by the grace that you have shown us, that we didn't deserve your grace. We weren't in a good situation when you found us, but we were on the side of the road. And so, God, I pray that, that you would overwhelm us with that, and out of that overflow, we would love the people around us. And I pray for our students Pray that our students will love this way. That they would look around them in, in class and in the cafeteria, and they would look for people who have needs. Maybe they have relational needs. People who sit alone, people who have no friends, who are discouraged. God, I pray that our students, wherever they go to school, would have this strong boldness and courage to be a friend to someone who doesn't have a friend, to really love someone who needs it, and to not be so bound by popularity or the thoughts of what are people going to think about me or 
selfishness. I want to have my fun, my way, but God, that we would be burdened as students to love the neighbor, love the classmate who's struggling. I pray this for our kids and our adults and all of our circles and whatever we do, God, that you would overwhelm us with your love for us, that we would love others. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.